going to start right here in Matthew chapter 4. Let me ask you a very important question. Um, because, because this sermon, it's, you know, this is my heart. This is why Lindsay and I, it's why we do what we do. It's, it's, it's why I, I got into the ministry. It's what we think about. It's what we pray about. It's what we work for. It's what we fight for. Uh, this, this sermon, it's, it is my heart. And you know what? I'm confident it's the heart of God as well. Here's a question for you. Uh, before we go to the scripture, here's a question for you. What was it that first motivated you to come to Jesus? What was it that motivated you to come to Christ? What was it that motivated you to become a Christian? Was it um, the promise of eternal life? Was it that you came to a church service one day and a preacher literally scared the you-know-what out of you? Y'all okay this morning? I'm working really hard. I'm having, me and Lindsay are having a good time. Uh, I don't know about the rest of you. You know, what was it? Was it uh, that you needed peace in your life and, and there was the, the hope of peace? Was it that you, you just, just your life was a wreck and, and you needed a better life? You needed better direction? What was it that, go, go back, jump in the DeLorean. My kids have been watching Back to the Future here. Uh, it's been all on TV a lot, so they've been watching it all the time. Uh, jump in the DeLorean. If you don't know what the DeLorean is, I can't even help you. I don't, I don't even know how to help you. Um, uh, it's the car they got in for Back to the Future, right? Go, uh, where they go, like 88 miles an hour, whatever it was, exactly. Okay, go back to the moment when you first accepted Jesus into your life and it changed everything for you. What was it that motivated you? A lot of motivations. Whatever it was, I'd be willing to place a wager that it was not the same motivation that the first followers of Jesus, what he, what, what he presented to them and the reason they followed Jesus. You see, we live in an American, in a very uh, consumer-driven society. It's not your fault. We're a product of the culture that we live in in great degree. And we're very consumer-driven. Every restaurant, every business is all about meeting the needs of the customer. Uh, what are, the customer is always right. How many have heard things like that? And so even when we bring that same mindset into the church when we come to God, it's about what God can do for us. But that is not what the first, why the first followers of Jesus came to Him. Let's set up the context. Matthew chapter 3. Uh, Jesus is ready to begin his ministry. So he goes to John the Baptist and he says, John the Baptist, I need you to baptize me in water. John the Baptist says, no, 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 I can't baptize you. Jesus says, you have to in order to fulfill scripture. So John the Baptist puts Jesus down into the Jordan River, baptizes him, raises him back up out of there. And when he lifts his hands and he comes up out of the water, the heavens open, God speaks down and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, if you were looking at a map, you would see the Sea of Galilee. And straight out of the Sea of Galilee coming due south is a river that runs to the Dead Sea. It's called the Jordan River. So on the south side of Galilee is where John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. They know pretty much the exact spot. One of my great dreams and goals in life is to have the opportunity to go to Israel. And I, I want to be baptized on the same place that Jesus was baptized. Man, can you imagine that? So Jesus then leaves his, this unbelievable moment. 
and he goes right in the wilderness to be tempted. Isn't it amazing that right after you have a great experience with God, the devil's going to tempt you? He can't let you have anything. The moment you get right out of the greatest time of your life, just get ready because here comes the devil. And sure enough, he is tempting Jesus and tempting Jesus and tempting Jesus, but Jesus overcame. Jesus had to overcome. He had no choice because if he couldn't have overcome the devil in the wilderness, he couldn't have overcome death at the cross. That's right. And you couldn't overcome everything you go through in your life. So Jesus overcame for me, and he overcame for you, and he stood strong. Now he's ready to begin his ministry. He comes out of the wilderness. John the Baptist is taken into, uh, he's brought in, and, and, and he's arrested. And Jesus comes out and begins preaching. Jesus' first sermon was very simple. He, didn't, he wasn't drawing the masses at this point. And as a preacher, I can tell you, his, his, here was his message. It was very simple. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as a preacher, I can tell you, preaching on repentance every week does not draw crowds. When you preach on repentance every week, people don't leave going, Pastor Randy, I mean, you just killed it today. They just kind of ignore you while you're walking out. They're like, you didn't see me at the altar today, Pastor Randy. You didn't see me. That was, that was. But so here's Jesus, and he's like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's making his way around Galilee. And then Jesus settles in a city called Capernaum. Now, I want you to remember the map I was explaining to you. Here's the Sea of Galilee with Jordan River. He was baptized here. He worked his way around. Nazareth was kind of, uh, let's see, if you're looking at the map, uh, Nazareth, was, Nazareth, Nazareth was on kind of the west side uh, of the, uh, the, the Sea of Galilee. And he works his way around to the top to a city called Capernaum. He did this because he had to fulfill Scripture. And he makes his home there. Jesus moves and he makes his home in Capernaum. And now he realizes something. I've been, pre- I've been preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, you know, I'm not drawing the masses, but I do want to change the world. I am here to change the world. I've got to make a difference. I- I've got to save the world. So I need a team to help me do that. And we pick up in Matthew chapter 4, and Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees some guys, and he said, you know what? I don't know what he saw in them, but he saw something in them that maybe no one else saw. And he said, you would make great players on my team. And here's what he said to them, Matthew chapter 4. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And I love this verse 20. They didn't go to their families and talk about it. They didn't go home and pray about it for a few weeks. They didn't fast. No. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. What a moment. What was it in the words of Jesus that when he said they're, out, they're just a little ways off the shore, and they're fishing. This is what they did. They're fishermen. Jesus comes by, and he, they're, they're throwing their nets in the sea. And he says, hey, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He never promised them eternal life. He never promised them that he would be their prince of peace. He never promised them that he would bring everlasting joy. 
He never promised them that He would fix all their problems. He never promised to save their marriage or help their kids. No, no, He just said this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They they drop their nets and they come following Jesus. This this fascinates me how 2,000 years ago, a man that they did not know walks up and says, I want you to come after me. I want you to follow me according to Mark chapter 1. Same story. Come and follow me. Leave what you're doing. And I am going to send you out to fish for people. And they left it all behind. Why did you come to Jesus? I would be willing to bet. It wasn't because... You were at your boat dock one day getting ready in your bass boat to go get a lure in the water and try to catch a bass and some guy with long hair and a robe on walked up to you and said, hey, you in the bass boat, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You would be looking at them like they'd lost it. But these guys, something spoke to the inside of them. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He spent three years, the next three years of his life, Jesus spent teaching them how to be fishers. He spent three years teaching them how to fish for people, how to fish for men. He said, he, he taught them how, if you want to talk to the affluent, you, you go, and, and he, so he said, here's what you do. And he went to Nicodemus' house, and he, and he spoke with Nicodemus, and he fished for affluent people. He said, if you, I'm going to teach you how to fish in a small group. You know, why do we have life teams? You know what? Jesus had life teams. Jesus was a part of small groups. And he said, I'm going to teach you how to fish with a small group. Jesus said this, I'm going to teach you how to fish to a large crowd. So he, he preached to 5,000 men plus women and children. You know what we learned there? Feed them before they get on to you. Make sure they have food before they get unruly. Something about Jesus and preaching the gospel goes along really nicely with food. This is what Jesus did. He said, I'm going to teach you how to fish in the temple. And I'm going to teach you how to fish in the streets. I'm going to teach you how to fish in Jerusalem. And I'm going to teach you how to fish in the small towns. I'm going to teach you how to fish to people that are already supposed to know. And I'm going to teach you how to fish with your enemies. And I'm going to go to the Samaritans, the people you hate. And I'm going to teach you how to fish there. He spent three years teaching them how to fish. Why did you come to know Jesus? Was it so that he would make you a fisher of men? Or so that he could help your life somehow? I read a, um, a book, uh, or it was, actually it was a life team manual uh, that I was just reading, and it, it was by Andy Stanley, who's a great pastor in our, in our country, and it's simply called Go Fish, and, and, um, and I want to share a little bit of what he talked about and a little bit of my heart with you um, for the next two weeks, and so we're just going to entitle this series, two-part series, Go Fish. Why did you come to Jesus? Why did you come to Jesus? I want to talk to you about today three common um, problems or three complications, three common issues that when you say, I'm going to start fishing, three things that you have to get over. Three things, three challenges. Are you ready for them? Don't get so excited now. Number one is this, and I'm just, we're just going to dive right in. Okay, this one, this one has been me for much of my life. Confusion about the Holy Spirit. Let, let me speak to 
good Christian folks for a second, right? If you, if you came here today and you don't know Jesus yet, or you're not really close to Jesus, and uh, you don't know anything about the Holy Spirit, this one's not for you. This is for those of us who, who understand church, who love God, who love the Holy Spirit, who want to see the miraculous, who love to have great church. I'm a church guy. I, I grew up in church. I love to have good church. I love to worship. I, I love to pray for people. I love to hear good preaching. I love church. And this one is for me. Confusion about the Holy Spirit. You see, we can spend a lot of time talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the, and the presence of God and, and how we want the Holy Spirit to move. Understand something. I love the Holy Spirit. He is my best friend. I talk to the Holy Spirit every day. I talk to Him all the time. The Holy Spirit is not an it, but a He. He is a person. If you want to learn more about the Holy Spirit, I preached on it for like five or six weeks this summer. Get online, check it out. It was called like the third person, I think was the title of the series. And, and, and I, I spent a lot of time explaining the Holy Spirit because He is my best friend. He will help you. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will comfort you. He will empower you. He will strengthen you. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. Don't go a day without him but the trap the confusion steps in when we begin to utilize the holy spirit and the gifts that he gives us only to better our lives or to the lives of the people in this church oh that's what it's for but that's not all of what it's for here's what jesus said one of my favorite scriptures ever acts chapter 1 verse 8 but you will receive power dunamis, dynamite, miraculous power when, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, we get to this. You will receive power and that will preach right there. I'm telling you what, you can go to any good Pentecostal church in this country and you can just take that first line. You will receive power, power to overcome, power to see God heal your family, power to see God heal your body. Boy, you can just get a little B3 organ going back. I'm telling you what, it will preach. But that's not where the scripture ends. You will receive power and you will be my witness. But here's the thing, when the power is so internally focused on our own lives and the lives of the people within our church, we are being a witness to the world. He said, you will be my witness. But what we're witnessing to is the church is all about the church and not about the lost. I'm going to slow that up. I'm going to say that for you one more time. You will be witnesses. And when the Holy Spirit gets so internally focused on the church and the people inside of it and not the people outside of it, we are saying to the world, we are witnessing to the world that we are more about what happens in here than what happens out there. Confusion about the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. Make no mistake about it. Don't go a moment of your life without the Holy Spirit. If you have not been healed, filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, today can be your day. Today can be your day, but don't get caught in the trap. Be, be a witness to Jesus. Go read the words of Jesus about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. It's all about the Holy Spirit's come so to, to glorify Jesus and to draw people to Jesus and to be a witness to Jesus. When you go living your life, living your life and, and talking to people, people are going to come to know Jesus through the way you live, through your witness. 
I love the presence of God. I love to get in the presence of God. I begin every morning by getting in the presence of God. Last week, uh, Pastor Phil talked about worship. And I don't know if he mentioned it in this service, but over there he talked about spending five to seven minutes in worship every day and how it will change your life. And I'm 100% in agreement. But you know what? I did a quick search uh, yesterday. I just, just a quick search. And I only found where Jesus talked about the presence of God one time. I know a lot of good Christian people who talk about the presence of God. I'm one of them. I love the presence of God, and I think we should talk about it. But we spend a lot more time talking about the presence of God than Jesus did. Jesus didn't preach on it. In fact, the only time he talked about the presence of God was at the end of his life when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying, and he's about to be betrayed. And and here's here's what he said in the book of John. If you can help me with that verse. Um, He makes this statement, John 17 and 5. He said, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Here's what he said. Lord, I've been down here doing my job. I've been down here fishing. I've been down here doing everything I'm supposed to do. Now my assignment is coming to an end. I'm about to go to the cross. And once I do, take me back into your presence. We should get into the presence of God. Hear me now. But we should also recognize that Jesus spent a lot more time fishing than he did preaching about getting into the presence of God. It's it's the trap. It's the confusion about the Holy Spirit. Here's what Jesus did. and And he gives us a... This really got a hold of me because I begin. Uh, let me just read this scripture. I, I, I don't want to get too far ahead. Matthew um, chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's a sermon he preached everywhere he went. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt, ha- salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let's, let's go back right here. Salt. There's this issue of salt. So Jesus says, you're the salt to the world. So when you go, well, salt does a couple of things. First of all, it brings flavor. You know what? When you show up in your world, other people's lives ought to taste better and get better. If you're walking around and everybody's avoiding you like the plague because wherever you go, drama happens and bad things happen, you have lost your flavor. Everywhere we walk, things should get, people should want to be around you. Not because you're cool, but because there's something inside of you that brings flavor to their life. It makes their lives taste better. Their lives are just bad. We're having a party. What are we going to do? I don't know, but I want to invite that guy. Why? He's kind of weird. It don't matter, man. It's just, it just is better when he's around. The second thing is this. Salt makes you thirsty. Your life should be lived in such a way that when people around you, they find themselves 
thirsting for righteousness, thirsting for more of God, thirsting to know about the Jesus you serve, thirsting and reaching into the, you know when you're thir- when you get really, I was out at the ball field all day yesterday with my daughter we were having a softball tournament and we were playing, it was, it was, it was warm and the sun was baking down and, and I was, you know, doing this and all this stuff and man, I got so thirsty, I couldn't think. I couldn't think straight. I just had to have something. I got to have something to drink and I got to have something right now. You know what? We ought to have enough flavor, enough salt in our lives that when we get around people, they went, I don't, they lose track of everything that's going on. I know the Cowboys are playing right now, but I got to know from you what's different in your life. Oh, let me tell you. And we go fishing. You with me? But here's the flip side. Too much salt. It ain't good. Uh, you, you ever, uh, moms, you ever been cooking? You'll never admit to this. It's okay. You don't have to. You ever been cooking? You're cooking dinner and you salted and the phone rang and you went and answered and then the kids did something. You went and you had to whip a kid real fast and you went back and you're like, oh, I got to salt the food and you went again. And then, and then the husband came in and you're like, oh, how you doing? Why don't you just sit down and just enjoy your day? I got nothing going on over here. This is all about you. And so <laughs> and you came back, oh, I forgot to salt the food and you salt it again. <laughs> And you're like, you so you're cooking it around. You, you know, ladies, you know what I'm talking about? Everybody bellies up to the table, right? And they're like, oh, I've been working all day and you're so excited. Let me share my food with you. And everybody sits down and then that first bite, everybody's like, but you know, the husbands, you can't, you can't say anything. You just got to eat. And you're like. <laughs> and I'm trying, I'm like, and then, and then, you know, no one says a word. The kids are kind of stirring around on their plate a little bit. And then finally, mom, you sit down and you take a bite and you go. I think I oversalted this. <laughs> and were y'all going to tell me? Uh-uh, I wasn't going to tell you. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about? Man, too much salt in your life can drive people away. Right? Listen, don't walk into work tomorrow speaking in tongues to everybody. <laughs> Just shouting to the rooftop, prophesying to the world. Being like, what is wrong with that dude? He's talking crazy. No, no, no. Too much salt is not going to help you. But you do need to be the salt. You do need to be the salt. Then he said this. You are a light. You're a light. And don't put, you're a light of the world. A, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And then, this, then here's what he goes on to say. Did I, did I give you the next verse? Yeah. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And he gives light in all the house. Here's what he said. Hey, listen, I'm sending you out as a light. The world is dark. Go out there and take your light and light up the world. Remember, we're talking about what's the, what's the challenge? Confusion about the Holy Spirit. Confusion about uh, what we're doing here as good Christians. You know, what? you know what I realized in my life? A lot of baskets look a whole lot like church buildings. Walls and a cross and lights and a worship team, but they become a basket. Never let the walls of Triumph Church become a basket in your life, hiding your light, living for Jesus, shining bright in here with the rest of the lights. But when you leave this place, shine bright for Jesus. Shine bright for Jesus.
Let's go on to number two. The second one is just simply this. It's, it's comfort levels. It's comfort levels. Man, I, um, telling, about, telling people about Jesus, for most of us, does not just come naturally. I know some people in my life that just naturally know how to tell people about Jesus. They're just good at it. I hate you. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't hate you. Just, I mean, just a little bit, but not a lot. Just, uh, no, I, it doesn't come naturally to me. I've told you before, standing on this stage, I'm not nervous. I'm not worried. I'm good. I never run out of things to say if you hadn't figured that out yet. Um, but boy, man, you, you put me in front of like two people that I don't know. And it's, I, man, I, I, I can't put words together. I, I start sweating. I, 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 my tongue just gets dry and big and swollen in my mouth. And I, and I keep asking you like four times, like, where are you from? Uh, I'm still from Beaumont. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you work? I still work at ExxonMobil. I can't, I can't, because, man, it's not natural for me. But you know what? That doesn't matter. It's awkward at times. It, it is uncomfortable. It, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit difficult. But you know what? That is no excuse. My social inadequacies, inadequacies, that makes sharing my faith uncomfortable cannot be an, an excuse for why I am not fishing. Here's what, here's what they, they said in John chapter 7, verse 13 in the New Living. But no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. They didn't have the courage to do it. You know what? I doubt you have Jewish leaders breathing down your neck, threatening you not to talk about Jesus. But what is it in your life that is, that, that is causing you to not have the courage to talk about Jesus in public? What is it? Jesus never promised that it would be comfortable. What is it that you fear about share, sharing your faith? In Acts chapter 4, uh, the disciples, man, they're preaching. They're preaching along. 5,000 men are added to the church. 5,000, that's not including the women and children. I mean, people are coming in. They are preaching. They, they have no shame. They're, I mean, they're just going after God, preaching with everything that they have. The Jewish leaders, they couldn't handle this, so they throw them in prison one night. Acts chapter 4, you can read the story. They throw them in prison, and they go and they talk about it. And, they, and so they sit down and they talk with Peter. Peter stands up. And the Bible says that he was filled with the Spirit, and he begins preaching. So the Holy Spirit comes on, and he, begin, he begins preaching, man. And he just shares with them. And, and here's what it boils down to. Now I want you to understand something. We serve the same God, the same God the Father, Jehovah God, as the Jewish religion does. Okay? Same God. And this is what these leaders are recognizing. This is what Peter's talking about. It's the same God. We're serving the same God. The difference is Jesus Christ, right? We believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the one that was prophesied about, the, the one, the Son of God sent to the earth to save us from our sins, and the Jews don't believe that. And so the Jewish leaders said, listen, go on, live your life. That's fine. We don't care. There's a man that's sitting here, and he's been healed. He was, he was a, a, a lame from when he was a child. He's a full-grown man now, and now he's healed, and he's standing there. We can't deny the signs, but here's what we need you to do. Just don't talk about Jesus. You can talk about faith in God. 
but don't talk about Jesus. I love what the disciples said. And and I want to read to you uh, their their response to this. Um, Verse 20. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Here's the deal. They said, we're not out here preaching our theology or our doctrine or our beliefs. All we're doing, high priest, is talking about what we've seen and heard. And people's lives are being changed. And they're coming to know Jesus. And the lame man is walking. And people are believing. You know, here's the thing. We can get so caught up. And I don't know about, enough about this. And I don't know enough scripture. And I can't answer that. And we can get so, so caught up in theological debates. When here's all that we have to do. Here's all you have to do. Let me make it easy for you. Just talk about what you've seen and heard. It's that simple. Just talk about what you've seen and heard. Your, th- your theology won't save anybody anyway. You probably don't know enough doctrine to argue down other people anyway. Your seven doctorates and three master's degree in divinity, they're not going to help anybody. All you've got to do, don't worry about what you believe. Just talk about what you've seen and heard. That's all you've got to do. That's all you've got to do. Talk about what you've seen and heard. This week, I, I had a chance to talk to some wonderful ladies, and, and um, they were asking me about the movie uh, 90 Minutes in Heaven, or whatever it's called. And I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but I was just talking about the people that I know who have been pronounced dead, had an experience with God in heaven, and He sent them back to the earth, and they are still living today. They were mesmerized. You know what? Suddenly, suddenly they want to know about the Jesus I serve. All you got to do, you don't have to be a theologian. It's not about what you believe. It's all you got to do is talk about what you have seen and what you have heard. Convincing somebody of what you believe is really difficult. Tell them what you've seen and tell them what you've heard. It was never meant to be comfortable. It was never, that was never the idea. But just tell them what you've seen and what you've heard. Comfort levels is the second challenge. Third challenge, and I'm coming to a close uh, with this one, is simply competing agendas competing agendas. You know, I, I love to pray the Lord's Prayer. It's something that I do every morning. I teach my kids to pray the Lord's Prayer, and I hope that you do as well. And one of my favorite lines in there, I spend most of my time on this line, is simply, uh, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. My, my whole prayer in life is simply, I want what you want, God. I want what you want, Holy Spirit. That's what I want. And, and I'm praying God's agenda. But you know what God's agenda is? Fishing. That's that's his agenda. His agenda is about fishing. He came to this earth to fish. So when you start praying, Lord, I want what you want, what he really wants is for you to go fishing. This is a dangerous prayer because we have our own agenda. We have our own way. But Jesus said in Mark 1 and 17, come, come. Follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. I love this. Come. What does that mean? That means go where I go. Go where I go. Jesus went all through the towns, all through, all through the villages. He was walking down the road. He was fishing everywhere he went. Everywhere he went, Jesus was looking for a body of water to throw a lure into. You know, I'm, I'm not much of a fisherman. I do love to hunt. And when I'm driving, even while we were on our trip this summer, I drove 4,900 miles. And everywhere I went, I'm looking for wildlife that I can hunt. 
And everywhere I go, I'm thinking, I wonder if there are any deer here. I wonder if there are any elk here. I wonder if there are any uh, uh, um, black bucks here. I want all these things. And, I, and I'm just looking, right? I mean, to a fisherman, every time you see a bottle of water, you're like, I think there's any bass in there. All right? Every time, every time you see a boat, you're like, could I get that back in, the, in my little honey hole and get it up underneath that tree? And I don't. That's where Jesus was. Everywhere he went, he was looking for a place to fish. He said, come, go where I go. Go where I go. He went into the city. He went in the marketplace. He lived his life. He went where people were, and that's where he went fishing. It's no fun to fish where there are no fish at. Go where the fish are if you want to catch some fish. Number two, he said, follow me. Do what I do. Do what I do. Follow me is about doing what I do. That Jesus was a fisherman. And I, and I submit this to you. If you're not fishing, you're not following. If you're not fishing, you're not following because Jesus taught us to fish. And if you want to be a follower of Christ, you've got to be a fisher. A fisher of men, a fisher of people. He said, I'm sending you out to fish for people. What if the disciples had never fished? Number three, fish for people. So come, follow me, fish for people. I want you to think about something for a moment. People are why Jesus left heaven. Jesus was sitting in heaven. You can read about this in the book of Revelation. Jesus is in heaven. And all day long... Every day, there are angels gathered around and they're falling down on their faces and they're worshiping Him and they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Jesus left the most incredible worship service imaginable and He went fishing because people were that important to Him. Let me ask you a question. Would you leave the best worship service of your life to go fishing? Sunday morning, it's exploding. It's incredible. Pastor Chris, Pastor Yolanda, the worship team, they were amazing. People were were shouting and worshiping and lifting their hands. It was incredible. The presence of God was so strong. Would you walk out of here? Would you leave that to go fishing? Or would you say, I'm just going to stay here forever? Jesus left. Jesus left the best church service you can ever imagine. And he came to this earth. And he did it because people were that important to him. One final story. This is from the book of John. Jesus is walking through the countryside and he gets into Samaria, into a town there. And it's the middle of the day and he's hot and he's weary, so he sits down beside a well to rest. And here comes a Samaritan woman to draw water from the well. And as she's drawing water, Jesus begins a conversation with her. And Jesus is not supposed to be talking to, to, to Samaritans and he's not supposed to be talking to women for sure. He's a rabbi, and he's not supposed to be talking to women. And he's sitting there, and he says, woman, give me something to drink. And he strikes up this conversation to her, with her, and Jesus begins fishing. She doesn't even know what he's doing. He begins fishing. He strikes up a conversation, and suddenly he says these words to her. He says, go call your husband and come here. And she says, I have no husband. And he says, you have spoken correctly, for in fact you've had five, and the guy you're living with now is not even your husband. And this gives us a glimpse into the life of this woman. You can hate on her and 
say how wrong she was and how many laws she had broken in the law of Moses. But you know what I see? I see a woman who's been through five divorces, who's been broken, broken and beaten up and hurt and trampled on and messed up and maybe some of it was her fault maybe all of it was her fault I don't know but I know what it's like when people go through a divorce and this woman's been through five and Jesus looks at her and he begins to say who he is he goes fishing suddenly her life has changed her eyes are open she realizes I'm talking with the Messiah I'm talking with the very one who can change my life who can help me who can fix me you know what I love about this lady she doesn't just because the disciples come up now right and they're like why is he talking to a woman but she doesn't sit around after Jesus has changed her life and she's experienced God like she never has before she doesn't sit around with the church folks and talk about how good God is she said, yo, wait right here. She went running. She goes back into the town. She gathers everybody, gathers everybody she can find. She says, you got to come here about the man. you got to come here about the man. He told me everything about me. He saw straight to my heart. He saw what I've been through. He knew what was going on in my life. She said, come on, you got to go. No, no, I know you're in the middle of washing your dishes. I know you're in the middle of cooking dinner. I know you're in the middle of work. Put the work down in a wait. you got to meet this guy. And they bring him back to Jesus. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that many in that town believed in Jesus because of her, this woman's testimony. She said, I'm not going to stay and talk about it with the church folks, with the disciples. I'm going back into the town. I'm going fishing. Let me ask you this question. When Jesus did the last miracle that he did for you, when he, when he changed your life, when he helped you, when he spoke to you, did you sit around and talk about how good God was with church folks? Oh, that's good. Don't get me wrong. Or did you go back out in the city and did you start to tell everybody what you had seen and what you had heard? Did you go back fishing? This is the reality. This is what God has called us to do. This is why Jesus came. He came to this earth to teach us how to be fishers, that we all through him might know God and might come back into right relationship with God. For Jesus, it was all about people. I, I want to close this morning, and um, I'm going to ask you this, this first this question. You know, I've been talking to, to, to Christians today. But if you're in the room and you don't know the Jesus that I'm talking about, this is the Jesus that had it all in heaven. He was being worshipped because he's God. Heaven is a place beyond imaginations. The few words that the Bible gives us about heaven aren't even adequate enough to describe it. And Jesus said, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him might have everlasting life. Here's the thing. The Jesus that I've been talking about today, he left, he abandoned heaven to come here to this earth. And he went to a cross, but I got to tell you, it didn't look much like this one. It was ugly. It was painful. And it was covered in blood, and he gave his life so that you could have eternal life Amen. and that you too could become fishers of men. I want you to bow your heads with me. If you're in the room today and you say, I want to know that Jesus, I've gotten off track. Maybe you've never had a relationship with him before. I want to pray with you. We're going to pray a simple prayer, all of us together. If you're watching online, just slip your hand up really quickly. And I want to pray a simple prayer with you. Man, there are hands going up all over the room right now. 
if you're watching online, I want to pray with you right where you are. You can put your hands down. I'm going to ask everyone to pray this prayer for me. Dear Jesus, thank you for leaving heaven and coming to earth for me. Simply because you love me. Because I matter to you. Thank you for going to the cross and giving your life for me. Now forgive me of all of my sins. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.